Welcome to one of the first episodes of Grounded Content. It is one of the first. I almost forgot the name of the show as I was saying that in my nervousness. Perfect. <laughs> it's a real honor that Chris Brogan has agreed to join me on the show today. I'm really grateful to have him here. He, I think, first showed up on my radar around 2010 on Twitter when he came out with Trust Agents, which was a New York Times bestseller and a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And um, he was kind of a big shot in the Twitter world in those days. Um, he has written a bunch of other books, including The Freak Shall Inherit the Earth, Find Your Writing Voice, The Impact Equation. And currently he has a new initiative, which is called Story Leader. So I'm excited to have him on here. And we're going to get into some really, I hope, practical, applicable things that you can do to help your marketing efforts in an authentic way. But the first thing I want to ask you, Chris, is how did you even get into the messaging business? Completely backwards. And, you know, I have no purpose or right being here. So what happened sort of parallel to everything else I was doing in my life was somewhere around 1998, I started blogging when they were calling it journaling. And I was like, this is great. I can like write ideas and thoughts. And I was writing fiction stories for some time and nobody read it. It like it, I always tell people and they balk all the time. It took me eight years to get my first 100 readers. Now the thing is no one was even looking at blogs back then. So they didn't know to come find me. Plus it was awful. So it wasn't really, you know, heading up towards like 2005. Then I started to make some more sense. Uh, in 2005, I started my first podcast. I called it Fat Guy Gets Fit. I figured I'll never run out. As long as I never fully get fit, I have a show for life. Um, and I've subsequently made like five or six different podcasts over the years. I, I always kind of have one kicking around because it seems like a good thing to have. Um, <clears throat> 2005, I started my first YouTube channel. Uh, I still hardly have any subs there, maybe 5,000. And then um, when Twitter came, uh, Twitter launched in March 2006. I joined in October. I was user 10,212. And way back when in 2006, they allowed you to import your entire like Gmail contact list and invite them because, you know, it was early days. And so in a weird way, I was sort of like Tom from MySpace for a lot of people on Twitter because my Gmail contact list was like 26,000 names. And so I invited 26,000 people to try out Twitter and they're like, I don't know. Sure, I guess. I don't. And then years later, this app came out that told you who made you get on Twitter and it was me like a gazillion times in a row. And I was like, oh, sorry, everybody. And then, you know, I hate being sort of ped, pigeonholed as like the social media guy, because what I said on all of those and what we'll talk about today, I'm sure, is that none of that mattered as much as connecting with people and being able to have interesting conversations about what you're interested in, but also business stuff in ways that you don't really get in the typical mainstream world. And that's what I've forever been fascinated with long before any of these tools existed. Well, I think that's what, what struck me and why you seem like a, a perfect fit for this is you show up on the top of my Twitter feed all the time and it's always something just sort of natural and conversational. Yeah, I don't know how to do it the other way. I mean, I occasionally try to do some marketing, like you, you should check this thing out. It, it never seems right. But like just a minute ago, um, I didn't get to have breakfast because I have a morning show that starts uh, at 10 a.m. And it's usually, I feel like not hungry before it. 
and then I feel hungry after, but then I have to do work. So I'm making breakfast, you know, before talking to you, which is most people's lunch. And I realized, oh no, I, I don't like cooking eggs in a cast iron pan, it turns out. I need to get a nonstick pan. So I go to Twitter and I'm going to message a chef friend of mine and I went, wow, I have not only like three or more chefs do I follow and communicate with, but one is an executive chef at Disney. One was an uh, R&D chef at McDonald's. And the third one is a restaurateur. So not only do I have three chef friends, but they're three different parts of the chef world. I should not know any of these people. And if I want to ask them, hey, what's a good nonstick pan for a good egg? Like I can ask chefs to be my answer, not just Google it. Right, right. And so here's what I think where people get stuck. I think people think there are kind of two ways to use these media platforms authentically and to kind of connect and have conversations or to sell something. You know, the trick about it is if you really like what you sell, then you can sell it authentically. You know, it turns out, you know, for instance, I just had this great video interview today with this guy who owns a NASCAR team, like you do, you know, because who knows anyone who owns a NASCAR team? And he said near the end, you know, well, we'd finished the interview and we're just chatting. And he said, you know, a lot of my friends are really pushing me to write a book. And I know you write a book. And I said, hey, I have a little course called Write Your Book Already. Well, does that make me a jerk to offer him that course? No, because he wants to know how to write a book. And it costs a lot more to hire Chris Brogan to sit next to you than it does to just buy a course. And so... Like this is cost effective. It's fast. It's easy. It's video. You can watch it when you want. You can download the little pieces. I mean, really good sales. So here, here's, here's what turned my mind around when it comes to sales and marketing. Sales is service, right? Sales is an incredible service. What did I just ask on Twitter? But hey, where do I find a cool nonstick pan for an egg? Well, if you're a cool nonstick pan for an egg kind of company, you should sure as heck be messaging me going, I got the best one, right? Well, do I feel mad that you messaged me? No. Where we get it all twisted is when you try to push your sales or marketing when someone didn't ask you anything. You know, it's, it'd be like going to, like, I have the grossest analogy for this, Mary, and I apologize ahead of time. Um, I feel like the way people use a lot of online tools is like I'm putting my hand out to shake your hand and you're sticking your tongue in my mouth. <laughs> like, I'm not really in this part of the relationship just yet. Maybe I could just understand what you're into. And, and I think that that's how people use digital tools. And I think partly because if you weren't, a net native of any kind, if you didn't learn what they used to call netiquette, and if you didn't learn that there were humans behind these screens and these keyboards, you have nothing to lose, you know, if you just want to try to market that way. But ugh, it's just gross. Like it doesn't help anybody. So what about, I mean, like, so there's all this data about how fear compels people to take action or extremes, you know, especially with the way things are measured now on, you know, what generates the most click-throughs. What's your rebuttal to that? I have none. Uh, fear works, you know, and, and, and fear, you, you can be a super helpful person in the face of fear. Millions of people are losing your job. My friend Marcia sells uh, the most world famous eBay books for dummies. You should all be buying this book right now. I just marketed to you right? I marketed to you on the fact that all kinds of people are losing their job and you probably have stuff sitting around your house that's thousands of dollars in play that you could use to augment your revenue while you're waiting to get back to full revenue. Look what I just did. You're going to lose all your money and here's how to make it back. You know, I think that I, fear, greed, and disruption are the three things. So I used to run trade events. I still sometimes run events. Fear, greed, and disruption are what run events. So you go to something like Consumer Electronics Show, 
it's, it's disruption, but also a little bit of greed. It's like, what's going to be the big seller? I better get ahead of this thing. Um, fear, uh, am I going to lose my job? Robots are coming. Come learn about artificial intelligence, right? So these things, greed, what's this cryptocurrency? How do I make a billion on Bitcoin? I see guys buying Lamborghinis, but you know they traded a Bitcoin for a pizza and now they have a race car, right? These are the things that drive humans. And humans are driven baseline by two emotions only, fear and love. Love can equal something as simple as comfort. I don't need to look at that right now because it looks like love. Fear, oh, do I need to pay attention to this? Do I need to, you know, you get an email with a stupid tagline that's like, you only have 30 minutes. You have to open that mail. 30 minutes for what, right? It might not really matter to you, but you've got to open it. So these things work for a reason. But what I always also tell people is that if you push my button and it is not an emergency, I will remember. And I have the Santa Claus naughty list. And I never forget and until I forget. And, and I can be really mean to people if they push the button at the wrong time. And that's the other thing that we own when we own social media is the ability to complain to everybody that we feel like that somebody, somebody wronged us. Right, right. I mean, that's interesting because I think living in a small town, you, you, which is where I have been, you have a finite sort of customer base or a finite neighbor base. And, you know, you know pretty quickly when somebody is someone you should listen to or not. But I think a lot of people play the numbers game, right? And they say that, you know, there's enough new customers that it's okay if we lose a bunch. What do you think is the most effective thing people can do to really cause an action, so almost always there are kind of seasons to things. Um, the way I look at a customer experience journey might be a little different than some people. So let me start with that. To me, there's, there's an event and then five things that happen right after. So I always put like asterisks around the word event. I say event. And then I say awareness. So let's do an event. Uh, you drive your car right into a phone pole. You're not exactly paying attention. You're not not paying attention. And you just wail it into the phone pole. Uh, and you're like, oh, crud. Now I got to get body work done or something. Awareness. Who's anybody know about a body shop? So this is prime marketing moment number one. How do we even find the body shop? And now, you know, we're, this is possibly evergreen content, but we're recording it in the time of, uh, you know, pandemic. It's much more important. Not only are they a good body shop, are you open? How do you treat the car in a way that I don't die from your stupid, you know, mechanic? Uh, so that's awareness. And then next is evaluation. Because we almost always want to ask a few people about a few things. You know, when I say to you, Yeti mugs are amazing. They keep hot stuff cold. They keep, you know, hot stuff hot and cold stuff cold, you know? <laughs> keep hot stuff cold. I'm terrible. A Yeti mug, buy one. You'll go, okay, fine. Or you go to evaluation. Well, says your thermos makes the same kind of thing, but it's cheaper. I, well, do I need a Yeti just because it's fancy? And, you know, a lot of times people will buy the off-brand because price doesn't matter as much. And then it doesn't work as well. And they're like, God, I should have bought the Yeti. Now I have sunk cost misery. So awareness, evaluation, purchase. Is it easy to buy your dumb thing? It is amazing how many marketers uh, make it really hard to buy. And if it's hard to buy, then no one cares. Um, I was just looking for something. I, I, uh, my microphone stand here broke two days ago. And it is literally hanging. At any minute when you and I are talking, it could just fall on my lap. And um, you know who makes it really easy every time? Amazon. You want us just to ship the one we already sent you once? Yeah, okay. Click. Be here Thursday, right? Like there is no friction on that at all. 
this is the same one you just bought. Do you want it again? Like you bought this like four years ago. Uh, and if your little small town deserving as you are, doesn't have digital means to make it easy to buy something. Now let's, let's, let's one up it again for the quarantine. Do you have contact free purchasing? Do you have a way that I don't have to pay you with my hand across the table? You know, uh, things like DoorDash and Uber Eats and all of those kinds of Grubhub, they have options now that say you don't even have to sign the sheet anymore. Just, you know, you can have the people leave it out in your foyer and you don't even have to say hi to them anymore, which as an introvert is really appealing. But as a nice person who appreciates service people, I have to go out and talk to them. I can't not do it. So I think, so that's purchase, right? The next is on-ramping or onboarding, which is once you buy it, then what? I don't know how many times you've done this. I, I do it a lot when I buy like a piece of software. I'll buy it. My bravado and excitement vanishes and I own a piece of software I'm not using. Or a course. You know, or a course. Oh my gosh, I sell courses for a living. A lot of times people are like, I forgot my login. I'm like, thanks for your bag of money. But like, it makes me happier if you actually do the work. And, you know, uh, I just got an email from Masterclass that there's a new Masterclass. Thank goodness they tell me these things because every now and then I'm like, oh yeah, I have a subscription there. So on-ramping, onboarding, that's a good note for Masterclass because it's like, oh, don't forget, you still have some stuff you could do. Um, Audible all the time. You've got credits like more than you have time to listen to audiobooks. Okay. Um, so that's important. The, the very last one after uh, on-ramping, onboarding is like purchase, uh, sorry, retention and or referral. So if you are a house buyer, you just bought a place. So if you're a house buyer, you're not going to buy another house anytime soon. But referral matters. Well, how's, how was your experience? How'd you like the agent? Do you, would you refer this person? Can you refer this person? You know, people in your neighborhood are thinking about selling the house. Would you recommend this person as a seller's agent? That kind of thing. So that's referral. And retention is how long does Chris stay a Yeti guy? Oh, hey, well, I know you love this Yeti. Did you know it now comes in colors? Do you know you can put your logo on this for like a buck fifty? You know, you're going to click checkout, just add a logo. Why not? And you can feel cool like your corporate friends, right? Like there's just so many ways to kind of get another sale out of somebody and be helpful in the process. So to me, you know, this is a super long answer to your question, but you said you wanted practicals. That's practical. You start looking at, at what points in the journey should I be helping people? So, you know, if, if you ran a body shop, I would tweet. I don't know how many times a day. Did you crack your car into a foam pole? <laughs> you know, or you know, if I ran a, a service station for cars, I don't know. I'm on cars right now. It doesn't matter. But you might say, has your car been sitting quiet in the yard for a while? You know, a lot of people. I haven't driven my car more than a couple hundred feet, and only then because my neighbor shamed me into it and said, "You got to move your car, buddy. It's it's been months." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe there's like rats living in it or something. I don't know. I don't know what cars do." So. Um, like some service person might say, look, it would be beneficial if you came in and did this one little thing, if you're going to leave it there a while longer. And I would eat that up. Don't even know about it. So I, I guess what you mostly do when it comes to, and I have to tell you something, I don't like the word authenticity because I think that most people trying to use it uh, utterly lack it. And, and, and they are trying to emulate authenticity, which kind of goes against the word, right? So Let's pretend I'm using it for now just because you like it. No, and no, no. Pick a better word. I, I, I Pick a better word. Let's just say you want to be helpful. You know, the advice I started giving in 2006, anytime someone says, what do you have for advice? If you ask me this question 20 minutes from now, I'm going to say, be helpful. Um, that's helpful to me. If my car is going to die because I'm an idiot and I don't know that I'm supposed to do something, then you're not marketing in some jerky way. It's only jerky if you're stepping in at the wrong time. 
you know, if I'm tweeting my chef friends about a nonstick pan and you go, I've got an amazing food processor. Well, you tried, you know what I mean? Cause we're, we're in the kitchen at least. If I'm, if I'm really excited about, uh, I, I was just tweeting about a Netflix show last night and it's a crazy world where I can tweet the actors in a Netflix show and they're like, Hey, yeah, cool. Glad you're loving it. And I'm talking to the people I'm watching on the screen and uh, jumped in a couple other sort of fans of the show. And that was exciting to me. I'm like, now I'm talking to fans of the show. And all I was thinking was, please, no other Netflix show, jump into the same conversation and tell me why I should also like their show. Unless it's like that show. If you like Diablero, you will love this show, then I would be into it. But if it's like you're watching a show about demon hunters in Mexico, want to watch about, you know, figure skaters? No. So that's how, and, and the, the, the fear with social platforms is, you know, how do I know I'm doing it too much? Well, no one sees it that often anymore anyway. So in some ways you could do it a lot more often than you think you could. But again, it would be so much better if you targeted it. It'd be so much better if you were sitting around searching. I had a friend who ran a bunch of restaurants in Milwaukee and he would just search on people typing lunch Milwaukee into Twitter and stuff. Where am I going to go to lunch in Milwaukee today? He'd be like, oh, I know a place. And he ran the restaurants, you know. Uh, that's how I met him. Because I said, I just landed in Milwaukee. Where should I get lunch? He said, you should come to AJ Bombers and get an amazing burger. And I was like, yeah. And then he wrote back, he goes, unless you needed to be fancy. And then you should go to this place called the Water Buffalo, which he also owned. Uh, it turned out he had four places. He could have my money four different ways if he wanted it. I went with the burger. And now he runs a restaurant group. So, you know, it's, you could be so helpful to people and not worry about whether or not you're authentic. And you could be it in such a way that you're a real life human and not some crazy robot advertiser. So um, you, you gave a great example with the restaurant guy, but I think people would ask, how do I get in front of the people who need my help or how do I find those people at the right time? I mean, I know there's like Google search ads, but there's probably better ways. Yeah. So Google ads work great. And, and people who are on some website looking for something like Google ads and retargeting is a magical thing. One thing I find that happens to me with retargeting, which is when you go website to website and sort of the ad follows you, if I buy something on a website, predominantly that website will then retarget me. I don't know how many times. And I start feeling bad for the website. I'm like, dude, I, I already bought it. It's on the way. It'll be here in four days. Thanks for offering it to me again. I already have one. Um, and and it's, 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 so it's an ineffective science in some ways. Ads work well. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, an ad campaign can really juice something up really well. It is definitely an investment. But it's also a little bit like, I always say this, it's a little bit like taking um, uh, protein powder and creatine and all that sort of stuff, you know, for when you're supposed to go to the gym. If you go to the gym and you work out, creatine and protein powder and all that sort of stuff is useful. If you take all of that stuff and sit on the couch, you're going to bulk up for, you know, a couple of days and then you're going to round up and then nothing's going to happen and you're going to be flabby still. You got to still do the work. And so these digital social channels that I'm most you know, connected with, they're sort of the, the fine tuning. I'll get an easy example. I, I tweet all the time, only about one eighth jokingly to the people who own Johnsonville. Uh, Johnsonville Bratz, you know, the sausage company. So much so that they finally sent me some coupons and some t-shirts. But I'm holding out for a real life sponsorship for my video show. And so I want them to pay me in checks 
to say nice things about Johnsonville all the time because what idiot is out there actively petitioning a sausage company? So I think- I know of one, I, I'm sorry. You know, one idiot, that's it. I'm trying to get more idiots. <laughs> Believe me, uh, I'm trying to petition that because I think that's where, there's, there's so many other business methods like affiliate marketing and things like that where people who are advocates for something are the best salesperson for it. And I, if I had my way to sort of magic wand up the world of marketing and advertising, it would be to get a lot closer to marrying people's interests with the thing someone's selling and cutting out that middleman of, you know, is this showing up in the sidebar of CNN.com? I, I love that analogy with the creatine. It makes total sense. Who do you think is really doing it right? Like, what are some examples of people that are really doing it right? I always have terrible examples for this one. I'm sorry. I, you know, um, because... It's not like anyone sits around anxiously looking at ads, but so so. Well, um, let me ask you a different question then, if if you sure. want, and that is, you know, you coach a lot of people. Is there somebody that campaign or a sort of a change that you made that you're really proud of that kind of that went mm -hmm. in the right direction? I'd less want to talk about that because it'd be more braggy. So let me do the first one. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's so weird. Like you know, hey, w w what makes you awesome? I don't know. I seem nice, but I would say that the, the things I like when companies do something exciting is when uh, there's a, a problem handling, error handling. So in the old days, it was things like Comcast Cares, which used to be my buddy Frank Eliason, and he would just answer a tweet and everybody hated Comcast. Comcast had the worst ratings in the world for customer service, but Frank was single-handedly turning it around. Uh, again, an old story, Lionel Menchaca at Dell. It was Lionel at Dell back in the day. And at the same time that Jeff Jarvis had famously written this post called Dell Hell that just sunk the company a, a very far distance as far as its quality, its value, its ratings in the world. Um, Michael Dell kind of, the sort of fake story that's kind of real is that he like ran down the hallway going, who do we know that knows anything about blogging? And they're like, well, you know, Lionel's writing a blog for us at Dell. Oh, get him in here. And then Lionel was like, I, I could do what I could do. And he was saying, it's not really what you think it is. But, um, and, and so, those, you know, there's all these people from the day, Paula Berg, they were all, I wrote a book in 10 years ago called Trust Agents, Look at Me Marketing, uh, called Trust Agents, which was about those people. And there's still those people out there. There's people who are really cool representatives of a brand in some way that, that aren't, really directly in marketing per se, aren't always in sales, sometimes are in customer service, but sort of span that feeling to us that, that if we ask them something on one of these social platforms, we're going to get an answer. Sandy Carter at Amazon Web Services. What is more like obscure than Amazon Web Services, which is like the cloud that runs, you know, whenever someone says the cloud, AWS is one of the biggest clouds. Google has one, IBM has one, there's a few others, but AWS is a fairly... Uh, most startups, you know, started their stuff on a AWS stack. Sandy is sort of my trust agent in that space. And she's this sweet lady that, you know, you would never expect as that's what her gig was when you meet her out and about at a conference or something like that. And that's where it gets cool, Marion. That's where there's some like energy that can be had. Because when you say, gee, I don't know, the only person I know is Sandy, and then she can get something to happen or somebody can connect. I mean, that's, that's what anyone wants, right? I mean, the, the first best opportunity to do something with this brand, with a brand, is when you really want something and this product or service just fits in so perfectly that life is amazing. The second best is when something goes horribly wrong and the brand shows you we're better than this. That's, that's great. So 
I listened to your first episode of your new thing, Story Leader. And I know, I know you don't want to brag and talk about your own stuff, but I loved, in fact, I just um, was coaching a couple of hosts who are starting a new podcast and I had them listen to your first episode because I thought you did this great job of showing how to tell a story in order to make a point and at the same time explaining what your podcast was about. But maybe you could tell us why you started Story Leader and why now? Because I'm contrary is one answer, Marion. Because as I look around, jaded also, contrary and jaded, I'm grumpy. I have, I have gray in my beard, a lot of it. And so as I'm looking around at my marketing fool friends, you know, oh, I got in an argument with a marketing friend last night. I'll just tell you that for real. For real, it happened. He invited me to be on his podcast. I was like, yeah, cool. And it's like a grown-up podcast. My podcasts are idiot podcasts. Like, you just show up. It's fine. There's not a lot of heavy lifting. I don't do a lot of heavy research because I just want the person to love you. There's no amount of research that makes someone love someone. It's me making the person seem like a person for a moment. Um, but anyway, that's how they ran their show. And this person you know, had handed me off to their staff, which happens. And I'm like, okay, here I am, you know, working with these other people. And they had me fill out a form. And the form sounded more like business development than it did podcast development. And I got grumpy. I get grumpy on forms, period. I get double grumpy if it seems pretty impersonal and pretty businessy in a weird way. Like I'm trying to pitch you something by asking you these questions. It sounds like a marketing uh, thing, where they were like, you know, like a survey that, you know, is guiding you towards a purchase option. And I was like, how in the world would I ever want to answer this? Because it doesn't actually make me want to do the show. Right. So when I started seeing my marketing people talking way more about marketing automation than what you do with it, that's like, it's like, a, you know, hanging out with a friend and going, Marion, you got to come with me. You got to see this vending machine. This vending machine is amazing. You're like, oh, okay. I mean, sure, I'm I'm up for looking at a vending machine. And you go and you look, and you're thinking, well, uh, you know, I could drink a Coke, I guess. I'll, I'll have a Coke. And you get to the vending machine, and it's got bags of poop in it. Well, to me, the vending machine's kind of neato, but you damn well better want the candy bar, and it better not be poop. So, I zig when people zag as often as I can, just mostly because I'm grumpy. You know, the minute someone says you can automate one stupid tweet and send it to 85,000 platforms. I'm like, F that you should write tweets on paper and you should knock on doors and bring them to their houses one at a time. Here's your tweet, sir. Right. That's what I do. And so story leader was, you know what, you're all going to talk about automation. Great. If you're not telling good stories, if you're not connecting people in the way that people are going to remember this vending machine part of the conversation more than anything we said. And the reason they are is because they talked about a vending machine full of poop. Poop is funny. So I needed to show how that works. I needed to show leadership that it, now that everybody's scattered to the winds, now that everybody's working from home and remotely, that stories are the best way to do heavy lifting in business. And so I always say to people, you know, numbers work just a little bit, but like giving a person a lot of numbers and a lot of lists, it's like trying to eat soup with a pencil doesn't quite work. And so to me, sto stories are the basic unit of memory. If I tell you a story, you'll remember more details. And if I do it in a well-crafted uh, enough way, and if I do it concise and brief and whatever, then you remember even more of it. When I ramble talking to you, no one gets served. 
if I can say it consistently and I can say it briefly, and I can say it in a way that people get the breaks in my language and say, oh, I get where I'm going now. And, and the labels are right on top of it the whole way so they know what I've said. You know, when I said, when I told you about the customer experience journey, I said, let's start with event. And I said, let's put asterisks around it. Everyone in their head sees asterisk, event, asterisk, because that's how I draw it in every drawing I make, right? So story leader is that. And I just got to, I, uh, I got to, I interviewed a guy today and he said, can you stick around after the interview? I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, I saw your story leader stuff on your website and I want to talk about doing a project with me. This guy's a NASCAR uh, team owner, which I didn't know much about what his business looked like to him, but he basically sells grocery store products. What NASCAR does is they write, you know, Scott's toilet paper on this guy's car and they like the guy in the car and they like the team and they decide they want to buy Scott's no other brand. He works with Kimberly Clark. Um, I was floored. I was like, Oh, I didn't even really think about that much. I, I just, I know there's cars. They do this thing. They turn left the whole time. Um, and he wanted to do it because he said, I feel like I talk a mile a minute. I feel like I talked like 2000 miles out in front of us and I nod to the room and they nod back and then they go back to their desk and nothing happens. And I need a little help between there and there. And I said, that's what my job is. So that's story leader. But how did I just sell story leader to you? I told you a story of how this guy said, this is what I need to do. And I was like, that's the story. That's how I do it. And you commented on that, complimented me on that about my podcast. Everything I do in media, except when I'm mad or weird, everything I do in media is supposed to be exemplary of how I want you to do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm never especially calculating, but as long as I'm not mad, if I'm mad, all the bets are off. I am an idiot. I just tweet like a, I'm like a certain president we know. Uh, but when I'm not mad, I do it right. And that's usually I'm demonstrating something that you can do. So uh, on that point, um, what are like a couple of things that, you know, that most people get wrong that are easy fixes. There's probably some things that drive you crazy. Well, in my book, trust agents using the web to build reputation, earning trust. All right. The minute you do that, I'm stabby. You know, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want to tell Cause a couple days ago, I do an interview for a friend and he has been that guy a lot. And he kind of caught up to himself. He finally was like, Oh man, I think I've been that guy. And I'm always waiting for that moment because I'm not usually especially mean to people like that. I'm just uh, dampening to people like that. So they don't get anything out of me. And he said, you know, I really just realized, I think I've been that guy a lot to you. And I, I want to apologize. I said, accepted. No problem. We all get there. We all find our way. And then midway through his interview with me, he brings up his, one of his books. And I was kind of like, that was so weird. Like he was trying to make it like, I'm so glad you wrote a chapter and these other people wrote a chapter. It was social proof stuff. And I was like, you know, if I weren't me, I wouldn't have gotten that. Is there a lap? But I have to interrupt the, the flow of this for people who are listening. Her dog, Marion's dog, is walking behind her, but always from right <laughs> to left, never back. So there must be a lap, like it's going around the desk or something. Is that what's happening? This is a secret that I can't tell you. Yeah, maybe, don't tell me because it makes after, it better. Maybe if, you know, if we do five or six more podcasts, it's another 10 years that we cross paths like by it. then. I like maybe it. I can let the secret go, but right only now, right no. to left. That's the thing I started to notice. Like, what the <laughs> what the so anyway, back to what I was doing. Um uh being grumpy. Oh, so yeah, so people who do it wrong, there's that. The other thing, and this is so tricky. We're at a time, and I said this on every stream of every technology I had. I said, if you are not speaking right now, 
during this time of social unrest, you are saying something to me. Like if your mouth is shut, you are telling me something that I am judging you based on because it's not a time to be quiet. You can say, I don't know what to say. And that's okay. You could say, I don't know how to respond to this. You can say, this is really conflicting to me because of reasons. You know, you could say, I agree with so much of this. I just don't know if I'm using the same language as other people. But to be silent was an absolute sin in my mind. I talked to a friend of mine, Kwame Christian. He has a negotiation podcast. He had a great way of explaining it. He said, if I got home, in relating to the social unrest, he said, if I came home and my wife and my son are in the bedroom crying, And I don't know what to do, you know, if I just look at them and walk away, I've told them that I I have said something. I've said I don't care. And that was very poignant to me. Purely. And that, by the way, is great storytelling because I suddenly was getting home. I was suddenly looking in that bedroom window and I was thinking about it, you know, it's um, so that's one thing you could do wrong is not use it. Now, (laughs) one thing I saw done horrendously in the very first days was some company, I don't know who shot first, puts their black background, white words and their logo at the bottom. It's somber, very somber. Did it. We did our social thing. Thank you. Um, Like in pride where they put their logo in rainbow and they're done with pride. Got it handled. There's actually a video out there making fun of uh, how this year pride and black lives matter clashed. And so they're, I don't know which one to wear, you know, it's, it's funny if not sad, you know, but, What is different in business starting in 2020 that's been increasingly different over the years is you have to be on a side of the fence. And it doesn't matter. If you want, and and, and this is, I get in arguments uh, with friends all the time on this. If you want to say, I don't support gay people, perfect, say it. But that means you don't get my money because my oldest kid's gay. I'm plenty of gay friends. I super support gay people. But, But the thing is, you can't not be in the conversation anymore. And I know that's hard. I like, for instance, one of my clients on and off for years has been Disney. I wish they would bring me in to ask me some questions about this. I have great things I'd want to, not great. That sounds like I'm the president. I have things I'd love to tell them. And I, I think that there's a lot of companies that are really struggling with how do we navigate this? Like, you know, uh, the Black Lives Matter thing, you know, the other side of that is there's this whole ACAB, all cops are bad. And I have lots of police force friends. I have lots of people that I've done work with over the past. I have special operator friends in the military. I'm not going to say all cops are bad. All bad cops are bad, right? So if you serve a predominantly law enforcement community, you've been sitting around looking at each other going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, one, you can't be silent, but two, you you have to shop around a little. You have to talk around a little. You have to figure out what's going to be the right way to do this. And sometimes the answer is, you know, ask the people that pay your your bills. One one thing not to do is uh, do it strictly for popularity or strictly for this is how it matters. There are companies out there. You asked me bad ones and I just suddenly started thinking of more. I don't like Burger King. I don't mean their food. I love fast food. I'm fat. Look at me. I love fast food. Um, I don't like Burger King's marketing because it's, it's, it's pick a cause every week kind of marketing. And you just don't know really what they stand for. They just seem to stand for whatever's going to get someone to pay attention again. I don't think that's okay. And I think that there's just so many ways that you can uh, support whatever you're going to support. Nike said, we're all in. We're super Black Lives Matter. You can't disassociate us with this brand. Adidas said, well, we want to take all the plastic that's in the ocean out of the ocean and we're going to sell shoes with it. 
And we sold 2 million pairs so far of shoes that reclaim 2 million shoes worth of rubber and stuff out of the ocean. And so if you don't want to support Black Lives Matter, okay, support Adidas. If you like the ocean more, I don't know. There's, 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 a, there's no separating cause from business any longer. That's, that's really surprising to me. I'm surprised to hear that, that, that that is so true. I mean, do you think that spans every, every area of business? I mean, back, back to all your car repair metaphors. I'd be so hard pressed to, you know, I don't know. If you go to the hamburger stand, do you care? Like, you know, if you're, if there, there's a guy like right where I live, I live in a very small town. If I go 200 steps that way, there's a guy selling hot dogs. I don't know who he votes for. I don't care. Would I want to choose where I spend my dollars if I did know what he thought? Maybe. That's the number. The, the number is, it's not, should I protect myself because I have different political views from other people? It's, can I, can I find the tribe that best suits the things I want to support? I mean, if you're kind of, you know, if you're someone super into hate, then, you know, maybe you have ways that you're, you're advertising. What I've seen is that a lot of the mainstream platforms are finding ways to kick you off. But I, I think that, I think it's, it's pretty hard to be in the business of hate. And so they're going to, like, there's a lot of extra taxes you pay to try to keep out certain groups of humanity. I think that people who don't feel that way, um, maybe like, you know, school supplies. Should school supplies have a political view? Sure. I think that's reasonable because the argument going on right now is should we endanger children and teachers? Uh, well, you know, kids got to get out there. No, that's not what, that's not what's true. What's true is a lot of parents aren't used to having their kids underfoot. And, and so they're like, please God, anyone take my kids. Uh, we'd put them in a storage transport at this point. And I think that we have, we, we work so hard to justify. I think, I think 20 or more percent of our calories every day goes strictly to justification for all so humans. So if I push back a little bit, I'm just Go. from from a strictly marketing point of view, right? You, you talked about the hamburger guy or yeah. the hot dog guy. And you said, well, you know, do I care what kind of what his politics are? Probably not. I just want his hot dog. But if right. I knew that his politics were different from mine, I wouldn't shop there. So is that an argument for keeping your mouth shut? <sighs> no. I don't know. That's a toughie. That's a toughie because, because the other side of it is, do we all have to be activists? You know, should we, should we support in general? We hold these truths to be self-evident things that all people are created equal, right? We should probably stick to that one, all human beings. But that means let's pretend those are table stakes, right? You don't have to uh, put a flag up for that one. You know, I just think people are really good people. I like serving people like that's not going to, you can put a peace sign, I guess, if you wanted. But what, you know, what's funny about a peace sign is I love the military. I would like to keep my borders safe. I like when they go out and help other people with their problems. With their of, course, of course, the military likes peace too, or maybe not yeah. the people making the manufacturing the equipment, but now we're getting into a whole. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the people with the guns like peace because, you know, they don't want to go out. But, you know, it's, it, should you like, should you like, should you be a Vermont bumper sticker uh, covered Subaru? Yes or no? And, and I, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I'm not an especially political guy. This has been, these last couple of years have been transformative to me 
because again, I just feel like you can't be on the on the sidelines. There's a great New York, uh, a New York Times article, which I guess even that's making a political comment. There's a New York Times article about Jimmy Fallon, um, where they were saying at late night, this is a few years ago, but that in late night terms, he was the only one who really still hadn't picked the side or anything. He was still being as neutral as he humanly could be. And so I think there's people who try that, but then I think that we react to that now. I feel like when that happens, if you are feeling differently, I mean, it's weird that I kind of went this way. Like I didn't mean to fall into this particular mindset, but I'm just thinking about, you were talking so much about authenticity that I think that, that this is what drives that. You don't have to be super openly political, but I think you have to make choices that have that underlining in there. And should all businesses do it? I kind of think so. I'm wondering if I knew the political bent of my toilet paper or not. I don't think I do. Well, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about that. I mean, you you know, you said the worst thing you can do is sort of present something that is not legit, right? And right. so in terms of I mean, I think that relates to the authenticity thing. But one of my one of my questions to you was gonna be, you know, what do you see as a sort of a big trend or a change? And it kind of sounds like you're saying this um this sort of need to be more than just your product as a brand yes. is is something yeah so let me let me take that in two places one is that when i talk about these things when i talk about your politics kind of have to be out there besides the obvious like good for the world kind of perspective on that i'm saying this in a business sense i'm saying this in a revenue sense there are articles abounds all you have to google is millennials uh, shop with values in mind that's all you got to look at. You'll see it. Millennials and younger. And every time someone's like, oh, no, no, millennials, that is the lion's share of dollars spent right now in the marketplace. Millennials. Don't mark out boomers. I'm a Gen X person. We've never really had much of a say in anything. Everyone says Gen X is the, the forgotten generation. It's fine. Um, but Wait, Which but, age is Gen X? Uh, I don't remember. I'm 50. So around okay. that. So the, um, the, I think it was like born 60. Four, 65 to uh, late 70s, early Okay, 80s. then I'm Gen X too, so. There you go. So, um, and then and the millennials right after that and Gen Y, my kids are, I think, Gen Z. My oldest just turned 18. And those kids buy 100% on values. Um, they buy what they want, but they know what the people believe. So I'm saying that from a financial standpoint. Uh, your question was, um, it wasn't that. It was a question, repeat your question one more time. Yeah, well, I, I gave you a double question. So you started a double answer. Okay. And the double question was, you know, are there trends that you see coming? And and, yeah. and then I thought maybe this idea that a brand has to be more than just its Yes, products. yes, yes. Thank goodness one of us remembers. I didn't have enough. I didn't have any caffeine today. I think that's a, that's a brand need. Oh, you're lucky. Um, look, I'm drinking water with uh, uh, cucumbers in it. It looks really like, you know, an Instagram live life better kind of a thing, but it's just... You should you should post that on Instagram afterwards. Already done. It's up. It's up. Because I'm known for this one dumb thing in my newsletter every now and again of asking people, what are you drinking? Um, so yes, your brand needs to be more than uh, your product. And there's a really easy, obvious reason for that. Uh, how's JetBlue doing right now? You know, how's any airline doing right now? So I keep getting advertisements from JetBlue saying, hey, do you, do you need a hotel or something? How about a rent-a-car? We, we do that stuff too. Like they're like any, you know, whatever, like whatever we can do for you. And I love JetBlue. So when I get those mails, I'm like, do I need a hotel? 
I'm in my house. I'm okay. You know, and I think about it. Um, most of the alcohol uh, brewers uh, in the world and, and distillers and all that sort of thing started making hand sanitizer. A lot of like weird brands like Louis Vuitton started making hand sanitizer and all that. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, that's just a gimmick. But I definitely feel a positive impression on a company that did something in this time that shifted some amount of their resources towards helping people in those ways. Uh, because a lot of those were like cheap or donated or whatever. And it makes me think differently about the brand. Again, I live in a very small town, 2.5 miles across. There are five or six pizza places in this 2.5 miles across place. That tells you America's number one food is pizza. Um, and one of them put up a little Facebook ad. I just saw it going by and they said, look, we understand that a lot of kids aren't in school anymore. We also know that sort of a secret that nobody knows is that a lot of kids get their only meal of the day at school. If you or your kids need a slice of pizza or something like that because you're not getting enough food, swing by, just ask if you have a special slice. No one's going to make a fuss. No one's going to say a thing. They're just going to slide a pizza across the table. You can leave with that slice of pizza. Have a nice day on us. Who do you think I'm going to buy from? I'm going to buy from them because the brand is them saying, we get it. You're in a rough spot. How do you spend your dollars on the other brands even if you like their pizza better? You have to go with them because you're like, man, they're helping kids in a straightforward way. They're helping hungry people. <coughs> Excuse me. There's no age uh, barrier on that, Marion. So I think that um, I, I just covered this a week or two ago in an email newsletter I sent out, which was basically that um, if you get really good at a thing, then you get reputation based on that. Once you have that reputation, you can pivot what a thing ends up being. Now, uh, it doesn't always mean it's going to work. Like if you're the best gas station attendant and ice cream delivery person, you know, it's maybe not going to work. There's some things like uh, that don't pair well, but you know, that's how I've made my entire personal career run all the way through. Chris Brogan is known as that guy that's probably doing something different than the last time you talked to him. And, and it's not a easy one to represent. And I'm really trying in the next coming years to stick to something for some amount of time. But that brand has afforded me something where people are like, well, I like Chris because he makes it seem like anyone could do it. He always says things in a clear and useful way, I hope. And, you know, he says weird things that kind of keep me paying attention because I'm thinking I didn't expect that to come out of his mouth. And, and that's the brand elements that people think of when they think of me. And I'm so disheveled that people are like, I could do it better than him, which is a neat positive. It keeps people coming. So I think that that's really helped me in my career. And so I think that whatever elements make your brand, what people say about you when you're not there, that's going to, can only help you go forward. It's a, it's a great definition of what brand is, what people say when you say about you when you're not there. So I don't want to hold you up. We've been talking for like 40 minutes and um, it's been really interesting. I could do this all day, um, which is, I guess, why I should be podcasting. But um, I like listening to people. But um, what what should I have asked you? What should people know? That's a tricky question. People ask that one a lot in podcasting. And I'm always like, I don't know. What's the combination of my safe? Um, That's a good one. What is the combination? 2927. I'm writing that down. Um, okay. And where is it? Oh, well, see, there's a challenge, right? <laughs> but um, the I don't have a safe. I always was afraid that I'd forget the combination and then I'd have something I couldn't get to. I do that like hotel safes. There's two types of people in the world, people who love hotel safes and people who could never possibly put anything in there because they would forget how to use it. Um, yeah. 
everybody. Uh, but my ex loved them. Oh my gosh, she would put anything in a hotel safe. She, I'd be like, is that a candy bar? Yeah, I don't want anybody touching it. I'm going to eat the rest of it later. In the safe. Okay. Um, so no, what questions should you ask me? So fast, I, can, I, I can be responsive. I mean, if you, if you don't fast like that question. Fast of land animals a cheater. Um, the, uh, you know, there's several different things that stay chocolatey in milk, not just that cereal. Wait, that's uh, not a know. question. So, uh, uh, all right. <laughs> I think I kind of, I kind of touched on this one before, but, um, you know, if you were to give one piece of advice and, and basically this whole discussion has been a lot of good advice, but if you were to, if you, if there's one piece of advice that you feel like people could, could stand to hear to, to market whatever, and it might be that they just have an idea that they really want other people to, you know, come around to, or it might be their business. It might be their brand. Like what's, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Two words, be helpful. Now, can I tell a really quick story and then Please go back do. to the advice? All right. This is a story. You just said a lot of what you talked about was advice. I sort of speak in advice uh, more often than not. I, I probably because of the nature of what my work is but I pretty much give advice all the time. I'm, I'm at a gas station. You know what you guys can do? And I'm telling people this anywhere. I'm in the, I'm in the body shop. You guys could put iPads in here. And they're like, no way they'd walk off. And I said, yeah, but you have their car, you know, don't give, don't give me the iPad back. I won't give you the car back. Right. I think you win. So I'm always thinking about advice. So I went down to Mexico city, not just for fun, but I got invited to speak in Mexico city. And it was at this, big marketing conference and all kinds of fancy people. And they all had like the marketing hair, you know, that, that gluey kind of hair that the boys all have and all that sort of thing. And they all looked amazing. Marketing people have like the nicest shoes and glasses I've come on to realize like they're always colorful and yeah, except in Vermont. Seen. I just want to tell you where, where things are a little different here. I'm with you there. Well, see, I'm, you know, I'm a main in uh, Massachusetts guy. I'm with you. I'm, I'm right here. Mary. So I, you know, when I'm in front of my Subaru bumper stickers, I know my, my community there. Um, but so I'm, I'm there in Mexico and I look like me. I look like a stupid idiot anywhere I am, but next to these fancy people. And so I'm waiting for my turn to give my speech. Turns out Mexico is not uh, known for being uh, on time. I did not know this. They call it Mexico time. And that means that my 11 a.m. speech was at about 6 p.m. What I also knew, I was the next to last speaker. And the guy after me, do you remember that movie Alive about the airplane that goes over the Andes? And I think it's like the... I, I think know, I maybe read the book or... I, I hate Venezuelan those kind of stories, but I think I read Soccer team or whatever. Yep. And they, and they end up for real like eating people and all that sort of stuff. I think only... I think they only ate one person. Well, I mean, it could have started a franchise for all I know, but they, there, was, there were people being eaten, right? There's the, the story is the cannibal story. So the guy who was the guy, like the guy who ate the people, was the speaker right after me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta see this. So I'm sitting there and I, I could talk a little less reverently about him because of what people said to me afterwards, which I'll also tell you. But he's kind of got his hands up to sort of the Jesus pose. You know, he's got the little, you know, stigmata hands the whole time he's speaking, sort of like, and it works because all I'm thinking is this man's like a saint. And this man says, uh, all these things, and I'll, I'll tell you the one that sticks because you said about advice. But but he says before that, he says, um, and the Pope wrote a letter that basically said it was okay to eat those people that God wanted us to. And he, he, he didn't say it exactly that way, but that is exactly what he said. The Pope gave us a letter saying, it's all right, you ate a guy. Which I'm thinking, wow, good, good on you, Pope. <laughs> like that's, whew, that's a, 
because I'm not going to hell for eating a human, uh, which a lot of people have it. So then he says, far be it from me to offer you any kind of advice. I think only, you know, uh, only arrogant people offer advice. It's arrogant to offer your advice. I'm like, that's all I did was advice for my whole speech. I've only, only done advice since 2002, probably. Ah, <laughs> I'm the worst guy. So I'm sitting there listening to him with the translator. And I'm like, oh, I better get out of here. I better leave Mexico. These people must revere this guy. And I was like, oh, they're going to hate me. So we go out and uh, drink afterwards because that's also what you do. Uh, with marketers and they say to me privately in the thing they're like oh that guy oh he shows up all the time they make him speak at everything we do and it's like oh he's a guy and they were like you know he's like really holy that guy and he's not very holy and i was like oh thank buddha oh my gosh i was like i don't try to stack against that so my advice is be helpful being helpful is the number one thing you could do in marketing sales business customer service everything. And what that also means is don't hide stuff to yourself. Don't keep your quote unquote awesome idea. Everyone's already had that idea. And everyone's already done that idea. I, I meet one person a month that invented Facebook before Zuckerberg. Doesn't matter. And I've had people who have like, I've said something in a blog post and they've turned it into a business. And every now and again, I get a little bit by that one. I'm like, mm, that's really my idea. But I didn't turn it into a business. So I guess it's their idea. Because execution is what matters. So be helpful, share everything you have, uh, work towards growing other people around you, and that's how you grow. That's great. It's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Artist's Way. Oh, quite. And so one of the things that stuck with me so much in that book is in the very beginning, she says pretty much exactly that. It's not about having the great idea. And if you sit around and say, I had that, you know, you watch the movie, that was my idea. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't do it. That's right. Doesn't and there's only two stories in movies anyway. A stranger came to town or I went on a journey, right? Those are the only two <laughs> movies. So, Are you familiar with Jeff Gomez? No. So you would like him a lot. And he talks about this idea of the collective journey. So mm. he says that there is a new kind of storytelling that is appropriate for our society. And that is not the hero's journey. It's the collective journey. And you should check him out. I think you'll like it. I'm into it. Jeff Gomez. I'm yeah. on. I'll, I'll send you a link afterwards. He's a thank cool you. guy. So, well, thank you very much. Am I, how should I close this? How am I supposed to end these things? I didn't, didn't plan for that. <laughs> so I do a weekday show called the backpack where it's a video show. We talk and uh, there's something called the Irish exit. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Irish exit, but not. you go to, okay. So you go to a party or social gathering or dinner or something like that. And you hate that like awkward goodbye phase at the end. So you just book it whenever no one's looking. You just bolt. You never say thank you to the host ever. You just go, right? Like the host knows thank you. They, they don't, they're not waiting around counting them. So you just go. So it's called the Irish exit. I don't know why. Uh, I happen to be 50% Irish, so I can claim that one. So I do that with our video show. I literally click the button while you someone's just talking. Stop and you just Mid-sentence. <laughs> Mid-sentence. I don't wait for the end of the sentence. You just boot. And then like, and because it's video, people see the screen change. It says, you know, this, the show's over. And they're like, oh, I guess, guess so the So is your guest just sitting there and all of a sudden they're talking to themselves? The guest is sitting there. They're talking to whoever they're talking to. But um, <laughs> the host and uh, co-host and the guest, we're all still there. Okay. But the, the audience has vanished. So we at least get to tell them. So by the way, here's what we did. But I also do a second Irish exit on the on the guest. I, I make Carrie my co-host. I make her finish the. the I'm like, yeah. So um, one thing I was thinking, and I just hit the end button, 
And then Carrie has to go, oh yeah, he does that. So what I need is an assistant just so that I can end these yeah. things. Or just push I, can sign up. I think it'd be great. Think about the endings. Or end it like this every time. Go, I don't know how to end this show. What would you do? Or, or maybe um, I'm going to ask you for like, what's the one most important thing everyone listening to this needs to know? And then in the middle of that sentence, Stop I'll end it. it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think, you know, don't ever discount the benefit of a really fun gimmick. Yeah. Um, because humans love it. Really? All right. Well, let's do that then. So uh, as, as we part, Chris, I'm going to ask you for what is, what is the essential thing that will change the trajectory in anyone's, you know, ability to market their brand or their product? Very similar to when my grandmother was... Thanks for listening to this first ever episode of Grounded Content with the brilliant guest, Chris Brogan. I'd love to hear what you learned from this conversation. And in fact, I'm so interested, I'm going to gather up some cool prizes. Just go to madmotion.com slash grounded podcast. That's one word, grounded podcast. And fill in the form and let me know what your lessons were. I'd love to include them on the podcast. You can also leave your negative feedback there because I know I have a long way to go. If you want to know more about Chris Brogan and his Story Leader program, go to chrisbrogan.com. He's also super active on Twitter at Chris Brogan. And I hope you'll come back next week when I'm going to be talking to the equally brilliant but completely different Joe Polish. In that show, we have some really concrete templates and takeaways that you can use to market your product or your brand and a lot of philosophy about using it responsibly. See you next time. 